Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Viacom are investing in the UK with their recent purchase of Channel 5. But will more money and closer ties with the US help build confidence at the broadcaster? Sky News may face a difficult Ofcom inquiry into the death of Brenda Leyland. We ask, what are the rights and wrongs of doorstepping? Plus, the Telegraph restructures to compete online. Online video viewing leads to an upswing in ad revenues. And we preview the upcoming radio festival and MIPCOM. This is the Media Podcast, sponsored by Audioboom. Well, after months of searching, our quest is at an end. I am sitting on a velvet banquette at the Hospital Club, where we are going to be recording for the foreseeable future. Uh, we are joined today by the media commentator extraordinaire, Liz Howell, Director of Broadcasting at City University London, and Paul Robinson, Managing Director of Creative Partners and longtime contributor to this podcast. Welcome both. Hello, isn't it nice to be here? Isn't it, though? We've got cocktails on the way, which is the main thing. Now, the big question this week, of course, were you both able to identify all 27 artists on the BBC's version of God Only Knows? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not. But uh, I thought it was a very clever initiative and extremely well executed. I, I mean, I'm a huge Beach Boys fan. I've uh, got all their albums on vinyl and CD and downloaded them. And so I thought it was a great choice of song, actually. And a really clever initiative. It's a shame that they didn't bring all of the BBC networks together, uh, just uh, some of them. But, what was uh, missing? I didn't notice. They, was... weren't, they weren't all there, were they? It was, it was predominantly the local radio and the digital networks. But I didn't get it, actually. I mean, I can see what you're saying about it being a great initiative, but it's not very different from when they did A Perfect Day. Do you remember when they did A Perfect Day? Yeah, I was quite enjoying the the retro nostalgia of that, though. You know, that thing of, oh, do you know everyone in the video? I quite like that. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. Yeah, it's not new. No, it's not new. But I think think the interesting thing about this is this is Tony Hall trying to put a label on BBC Music, and the reality is that the BBC does have a tremendous range of music across its output, not just pre-recorded music, but obviously everything from Glastonbury to the BBC proms but I'm not sure whether listeners viewers are going to actually understand what BBC music I is. I totally agree and you know, I get a little bit sick of this sort of monotonous branding across everything it's, it's sometimes it's good to have lots of different things going on you know and different brands and different areas of the forest and it's a bit like I mean the controversy over BBC news now which is that everything's got to be the same and look the same and actually news is different from different perspectives. But I think it's good that BBC celebrates its diversity because it's true that you know you the BBC probably is the premier broadcaster for a range of music and I guess part of this 
this. It's not about the, the listener or the viewer. It's actually about the licensing think, renegotiation yeah, coming up, isn't it? And I, I don't blame Tony Hall for oh, wanting to... Oh, you cynical to, man. Yeah, t- cynical, of course. It's not cynical, I couldn't it's possibly realistic. be any coincidence. But I don't blame Tony Hall for actually wanting to say we want to really put a label on this and point out all the good things we do. Well, I do. I thought it was the most horrible self-indulgent wank. I thought, brilliant that they're going to make money for charity by selling it for children in need. Why didn't they brand it with children in need at the end? Then the public would understand why it was happening and you'd be implicitly crediting the BBC with something amazing. Do the public care about BBC music? And also, just, should they? Like an, 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 a commercial branding organisation. No, I, I think that's a bit harsh. You, and, and if it was branded children in need, they'd think it was children in need because every year the BBC do a children in need song. I don't blame them for trying to celebrate BBC music. Well, I what don't I'm think is, it was their perfect day. Oh, I think we have to end there. I think we, ha- we should end the podcast there, but unfortunately we've got some other media stories to discuss. Uh, let's talk about the new owner of Channel 5, Viacom. They've promised to increase the budget of Channel 5. No specifics as yet on the amount of cash we'll actually see on screen, but one visible change coming soon is that their US channel Spike, kind of a male-skewing channel, isn't it, is going to have its UK cousin, Spike UK, featuring imported content, but also repeats from Channel 5. Paul, what do we know about Spike in the US? Well, Spike in the US does very well. It, it's sort of a, you know, as you say, it's edgy. Um, it's where they put all of their sort of sharper commissions. Remember, Viacom, of course, also have a whole range of brands. They've got Nickelodeon, they've got Comedy Central, they've got MTV. What's interesting about this, I think, is that under Richard Desmond, Channel 5 was turned from being a loss-making channel into a profitable channel. And I think most viewers didn't really notice too much of a difference. They were more concerned about whether Celebrity Big Brother was on or not. If you want to, though, move Channel 5 from where it is to be a more major player, and maybe ultimately compete with ITV, you've got to invest in more content. At, you know, at 300 million, you are stuck at a channel with a single-figure percentage share, which is not going to shift. So the issue is going to be, if they twiddle around at the edges and add 10%, 20%, that's not going to make a seismic difference. If they want to really compete with the big boys, they've got to put another 200, 300 million in, and that's the big question. Will they do that? And Liz, I saw the MD being a little bit vague on whether this may or may not include another series of Big Brother. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Of course they're going to go for it. It's their biggest show. I would have thought so. What is really interesting to me about what's going on at the moment is the way that the Channel 4 share is going down and the Channel 5 share is going up. Mm. They're practically neck and neck at the moment, round about the 4%, which is incredibly low oh, if you ho- think... Hold on, Liz. Sorry, our cocktails are here. Sorry, please go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so we've got, I've got the, the Virgin Mary, the Adnams is for producer Matt, uh, the Bitburg, that's for Paul Robinson. And what have you, what have you got, Liz? Oh, white wine spritz. And white, lovely. Yeah. What's yeah. impressive here is how Ollie Mann knows exactly which drinks are going to which person. This is very <laughs> impressive uh, as host. It's interesting what you say about Channel 4, though, Liz, because I think the problem with Channel 4, Thank without you. wanting to get off the story, is that all of the other brands, E4, More 4, they have a much stronger identity than Channel 4 now. So those brands are doing well. And if you look at the collective Channel 4 ratings, they're still pretty strong. But the core Channel Channel 4 is going down. I think because actually you don't really know what Channel 4 stands for now. Well, this is really interesting because we've been doing some work at City University on diversity, just measuring on air the numbers of, of ethnic minority people. And you would think with its remit that Channel 4 would do very well. In fact, Channel 4 News does very well, but the rest of Channel 4 is really poor for ethnic minority participants. And one of the reasons is the, the sort of programming they run is endless sort of property shows and things about your, you know, your old furniture or your old house or whatever. Mm. I mean, I love them, but that's not not what Channel 4 is about. And it has, I think, very definitely lost its way and lost its identity. Whereas 5 is actually doing quite well. 
and what it does, it does well. It's very focused. It's very clear what you mm. get on five. It doesn't have a huge range, but it does what it does well. And I'll tell you something else that's interesting. When you actually measure current affairs content, and it's quite difficult to find a definition of current affairs, but if you use the sort of classic Wikipedia definition of current affairs as analysis of the news, there's as much current affairs on Channel 5 as there is on Channel 4. And when you say about Channel 5 playing to their strengths, knowing what they do, I mean, that is something that Viacom do very well, isn't it? With all of their different brands. You know what Comedy Central is, you know what Nickelodeon is, you know what MTV is. Do you think they're going to help Channel 5 even accelerate that as well? Viacom are very good, as you said, identifying a target audience and then super serving it. And that, of course, is right in terms of the audience. It's also right commercially because they can then use that to target either carriage feeds in the case of pay TV channels or advertising in the case of free-to-air. So I think they will have a much sharper focus. The question is going to be which direction they're going to go. What are they going to do? Viacom, of course, haven't got a huge amount of content they can actually import and put on there. They're going to have to buy from other third parties like Disney, Warner and so on. That's going to be the interesting thing. To what extent they acquire from those other Hollywood studios? It could be very interesting. But just a word of warning, it's traditional, I think, in the UK that channels which have only... US imports do not do as well as channels with a very big slab of UK material as well. So perhaps Viacom will put some of their money into local homegrown production. I don't know, if I was them, I'd look at BBC Three and how Family Guy is consistently the most popular thing on there, and I'd put South Park on Channel 5. That's what I'd do, take it off Comedy Central. Whereas the BBC's putting BBC Three online. Exactly, Mm. yeah, it's exactly the right timing, isn't it? I noticed as well Viacom are opening a Nickelodeon store in Leicester Square. Did you see that? Yes, they are. They're first, yes. Yeah, opposite the M&M's world. I, I keep saying to Global we need an LBC store where the Capital Cafe used to be so you can finally order an Ian Dale hot dog, but they won't do it. Mm. I think SpongeBob SquarePants and Ian Dale make fine companions. <laughs> OK, in uh, slightly heavier news, I'm afraid, let's talk about this trolling story and Sky News. Ofcom have said they've received over 60 complaints about Sky News's report on Brenda Leyland, who was found dead last weekend. Last week, the channel had sent a reporter, Martin Brunt, to her house As part of a story about internet trolling, she was accused in the televised report of sending anonymous abuse to the parents of missing daughter Madeleine McCann. Uh, Liz, Sky have released a statement saying they were saddened by the news. What do you make of what's happened and their role within all this? I feel involved in this because I actually appeared on Sky News alongside of that report talking about trolling and the effect it has particularly on, on women and the fact that women fear abuse that they get because when they appear on television and radio they get more abuse usually than men although men too can be the victim of these people I think the confusion here is about the nature of trolling and what actually is trolling I myself have had really vile emails from people after appearing on the Today programme, sort of, I don't know why that should surprise me but it did, now people are saying well Brenda Leyland wasn't a troll as such she didn't go in for the absolutely vile abuse but the difficulty here is the nature of, of the internet and of defamation, if you say in a public sphere something about someone which is not true and which you can't prove then you're defaming them and the the issue is is twitter the public sphere or is it defamation it is dreadfully sad about what happened to brenda Leyland. one would imagine though that there may well have been other issues going on there who knows well, and that's did, i think wise for sky not to comment but isn't that the point you know who does know you well, know if course. you don't know should you be doorstepping someone i don't know if you saw the brilliant documentary on channel four last week the pedophile hunter mm. uh, which was about an online vigilante who films men who are there to hook up with underage girls yeah. and boys and paul the issue that was highlighted in that was 
police spokespeople saying, look, actually what he does is very valuable, we can use his evidence, but he shouldn't put it on the internet because the chances are, if you've been humiliated publicly, you're at an increased suicide risk. That's why it's best leaving it to the police. From that point of view, the are these Facebook true groups... Of what Mrs Leyland did. She, she was attacking vulnerable people. It, it's, it's a really difficult one. But are those calls on Facebook to have Martin Brunt sacked, uh, you know, which is a little bit much, in my opinion, aren't they right to say Sky News has an active role here in disproportionately promoting this case and, and not just going straight to the police with it? Yes, of course. But I mean, I, th- I think, um, you know, Sky's um, own guidelines are quite interesting. And, you know, they, they say that, you know, any grounds for uh, an investigation involving a significant amount of intrusion into individual privacy must be very strong indeed. And I guess the question is, you know, was there a very strong case for them actually uh, investigating her? And I think that's, that's the issue. Clearly, in sending thousands and thousands of tweets, uh, she must have been aware there'd be some consequence to that action. The question is whether it was justifiable for Sky News to doorstep and whether their doorstepping had any connection at all with her sad passing. And we just don't know that. I mean, it seems to me that this is a story in the public interest and therefore it's legitimate to investigate it and report it and try and find out what happened. I think if there's a proven cause and effect between the doorstepping and the death, that's a completely different matter. But I think we don't know that yet. Isn't the report incorrect anyway to say it will be an Ofcom investigation as such? Because there have been complaints, Ofcom have to, as it were, investigate the complaints. But that's not the same as an Ofcom investigation into this issue. That's exactly right. I mean, there's only 60 complaints, but that's enough to trigger the investigation. They are assessing it, which is not an investigation yet. And, you know, it's yet to be seen whether they will indeed investigate. It seems to me it's not really in their area, I think. I think it's definitely a grey area. A very grey area. I suspect they may end up not doing an investigation. And looking at Sky's own code of conduct, it does actually look like the, the rules were followed in terms of how the doorstepping was done. She was notified before it was broadcast and they blurred out number plates and all the rest of it. It's just, you know, are those regulations really up to scratch for what we need these days? This is terribly difficult. Look at the David Kelly suicide in, in which, you know, there was, as it were, a BBC tangential involvement. It is very, very awful and upsetting and dreadful. And the sad thing is that a lot of people who are in the news are fragile and it is very difficult. But on the other side of the coin, to what extent can you actually stop news reporters doing what they consider to be their job? And in this particular instance, investigating the dossier that the public brought showing the tweeting about Madeleine McCann seems to me to have been a legitimate form of reporting. And there are other forms of reporting which I think are far worse than what Martin Brunt did, even though, sadly, it had this tragic outcome. What I find extraordinary about this story, and you've used it, Liz, you know, without any sort of um, qualification at all, how the word trolling has now oh. been accepted as someone actually behaving in this way. It's a complete new use of the word. Mm. It's now gone into popular parlance. Everyone understands a troll is now someone who abuses social media. Yeah, and you don't even have to directly be at replying the people anymore, which you used to have to be to yeah. be a troll. It's a bit like selfie somehow has now become a photo that someone else can take of you on their phone, even though it's supposed to be you holding the phone. Uh, well, talk of online and digital things, actually, let's move on to talk about the Telegraph's radical restructure. Uh, the editor-in-chief there, Jason Seekin, has been telling staff this week about his plans for restructuring the paper around its digital first strategy. Taking inspiration from Die Welt in Germany, editors will be able to drop articles from the online edition straight into a template for the printed version. A source speaking to The Guardian claimed it would treat online as a buffet 
to fill the paper, a buffet. Uh, Liz, is this a buffet you'll be queuing up to uh, eat all you can from? Yeah, I suppose. I find it really interesting. I I like the idea of being able to go online and then also to be able to read the paper. I like having both. Interestingly, I was talking to someone who works at City with me who teaches online and is a great sort of proponent of digital. And he is also an entrepreneur and has just started with a magazine, a paper-based magazine. So really, convergence is here and it works both ways. I think it's great. Um, Also, I notice with our students who come to um, train to be theoretically print journalists are demanding more and more video and more and more audio and everyone wants to do everything great lead me to it well except with the telegraph and uh, you know i say this is someone who writes for the telegraph as well but you know there are certain journalists there who i think it's fair to say aren't the most digital first out of the entire world of journalism paul do you think this is going to be a bit of a shock for them um, i'm sure it will be but i think it's the right way to go i mean clearly you've got to service the digital engine because that's continually requiring new stories you know hour after hour and like the paper which obviously is a 24-hour um, operation i think a couple of questions really for me one is on what basis will they the buffet be selected you know what sort of meals going to be selected i mean that's going to be quite an interesting uh, criteria set of criteria i think because ultimately the paper is always going to be behind digital isn't it so the paper's got to have something in it that is special unless the buyers of the paper are different to those who use online and i suspect there's a crossover the paper's got to have a unique identity for me what makes the paper special is the commentary the analysis and the writers who i like to read who've got something to say it's not about the news i will go to twitter i'll go online for news first nice to see those things in the paper as well but it's all the other special things that only really a paper can do that I look for that makes me still buy newsprint the crossword (laughs) not the crossword no I love the crossword but that's something you can only get that is something version, you struggle you know, to do on an iPad. There's that lots is a good and lots point. of things, as well as the comment, which I also agree My with. My suspicion you. is there is actually two quite large different audiences for the Telegraph. Well, I'm, one is not as large. I mean, the Telegraph sells how many copies, Liz? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's still doing pretty well, isn't okay, it? Okay, so it's good. It's very yeah. good. It's 80 million people online. A yeah. uh, bit of a difference. Yeah, but completely different stories will appeal. You know, if you, if you take the stories online that have the most comments and say, well, these are the ones we should fill the paper with, that's not necessarily going to appeal to your stereotypical retired colonel in Tunbridge Wells, is it? Presumably they will still keep a news team doing the news and keeping the news going and then the backstory, if you would like, will come largely from the digital. I don't know how they're going to organise it, but I do like the idea of the convergence. And I do think there's room for both, I really do. And what it says, actually, is the long-term future of the Telegraph Group is digital. I mean, there will be a day when the paper will cease to exist as a physical product. That's what this signals, I don't agree with you, but I think there will be a day when the paper is a lot less important. I think it will cease. Well, I can reveal exclusively here that here at the Media Podcast... we are closing down our print edition this week uh, but we'll be back with more digital stories after this this episode of the media podcast continues to be supported by squarespace squarespace makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website portfolio or online store and with the media podcast you can get a free trial and 10 percent off by entering the code mediapod at the checkout. If you're a Kickstarter pleasure, you'll already know how easy it is to make a good-looking website because you'll have visited our own bonus website, themediapodcast.squarespace.com. If there's one thing I've learned, it's that Squarespace makes it so simple to build a website, even a radio producer can do it. So why not build your website with Squarespace today? And get 10% off when you use the offer code MEDIAPOD. Hold up. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Some other stories from the media landscape now, and Sophie Turner-Lang is set to head up the new super indie merged from Shine and Endemol, known colloquially as Shendemol. Uh, that means that Liz Murdoch, who ran Shine, has left the company she began back in 2001, uh, getting a reported £130 million from the deal. So Rupert will be proud of that. Liz, what do we know about Sophie? We know a lot about Sophie. She's great. I worked with her at Flextech years ago, and we were involved in channel management for about four channels. She's a really brilliant businesswoman. She's also fascinating because she's from the University of Life, which is excellent, and she's not one of your sort of Oxbridge men called James running the BBC, so she's really refreshing. I think she'll be brilliant in this role. Um, I'll be very interested to see what they commission, sorry, what they make and who commissions them and where they go from here. But it's it's great. I think she'll do really well. I'm also a fan of Sophie Turner-Lang. I mean, I haven't seen her for about three or four months, but at Sky, she's done an amazing job. I mean, she's basically in charge of all of Sky's content except for sport and uh, has been behind you know the tremendous growth and, and success and original commissioning of the Sky channels recently. So when she left Sky, I wonder what she's going to do. I thought it's got to be a big job somewhere. Yeah. This is a big job. Yeah. She's a great person for it. And I think it would be very, very interesting to see what she does, as Liz says. I think the public possibly don't realise just what a big job this actually is because it's not as if Endable was a small company before it merged with Shine. And Shine's a big company. Of course, Shine to some extent had the protection of, of the Murdoch Empire behind it because the Murdoch Empire created Shine and then bought it. So in a sense, it's always been nurtured and looked after within that environment. So Endemol being quite different, it's going to be interesting to see how they work together. And of course, they've sort of raked over the executive and changed all of that. So where does it go? I don't know. Watch this space, I think. And interesting too to see how Sophie Turner-Lang works with Tim Hinks, because uh, there's two big personalities. Yeah, that will be interesting to see. I don't know what's, what's going to happen, but I think that this time next year it will be very different from where it is now. And what about uh, Liz Murdoch? Probably won't be too long before we see her back working in television, surely. Well, she's got 130 million to spend, so maybe she can take a few months off. <laughs> and she and Matthew Freud are divorcing, I think. That's also a change of lifestyle, so who knows where she'll turn up. But being a Murdoch, she'll turn up somewhere. Mm. Right, research published by the Internet Advertising Bureau this week suggested that 73% of us have watched a TV programme online in the last six months, which averages two and a half hours a week. 
That's meant more money being spent on video advertising, which is up 59% year on year. Paul, is this the digital revolution continuing? Do you think there's more to this report than just that? Well, we're seeing two things happening. One is a tremendous move from linear to non-linear viewing. About 85% of viewing is still to linear. 15% is now to video-on-demand services and other non-linear services. Netflix and others driving that. And then you're seeing so much more viewing actually on mobile devices. In fact, total viewing amongst those who do use tablets and mobile phones is higher than it was two years ago. So we're actually creating new viewing opportunities. And you can see that because people are watching on the underground or on the bus or standing at the bus stop waiting. Um, And what's interesting, of course, is that extra time has created more advertising opportunities, hence this amazing growth in advertising for online video. Um, This is a trend that's going to continue. People have now got um, these devices. They're able to now watch video in all sorts of occasions when they weren't before. Uh, People will now also, even if they're sitting around a room where there's one big screen and maybe the family are watching together, they may watch something else on their own personal screen. So the money is following the viewing. This is a trend that's going to continue. But it's, it's costing less per ad, isn't it? And Liz, is that going to change? Because currently it costs less to advertise online. If that does change, will it impact the, the model? Well, this is really interesting because, yes, the money may be following the audience, but probably it's fragmenting. So the same amount of money is being spent overall, but in different areas. So obviously buying an ad to go with a programme that's being seen online is not going to cost you as much as buying an ad that goes out on broadcast television that reaches millions. If you've got an ad in the middle of Downton Abbey or an ad in the middle of you know some very popular programme, it's going to cost you a lot of money and that's still being spent because it reaches millions at once I mean, they always they always say in the television ad business you know it's the black banana market if you've got a warehouse full of bananas and you have to shift them the only way to do it is to get to millions of people at once and that's where the big money is in advertising i think it's very interesting that there's more and more advertising opportunity and clearly the market's growing in the end how much more is actually being spent by advertisers by people who want to buy advertising time well what's interesting is that the advertising market it is growing. If you look at the Group N forecast, the, the growth in advertising spend is exceeding the growth in inflation, but the growth on online is exceeding the overall growth in advertising. So, in fact, advertising share is moving across to online advertising. Whenever a new digital medium starts, it's always discounted. The same happened in radio. As radio has moved to digital, people pay less to access DAB digital audiences than they pay to access analogue audiences. And as Liz says, that's because the bulk is not there. As the bulk grows, the, the cost per thousand goes up, and that will change in time. So, over time this will correct and uh, those prices will come up but the advertising spend overall is going up it is going up not as much as you might think it's going up there's two things overall going up and share is also going up so this is taking a greater share publishing uh, radio and outdoor are growing less fast than digital are they actually going down they're not going down but they're not going up as fast and to continue Liz's analogy uh, regarding the banana factory uh, if you do have a warehouse full of bananas here at the media podcast you can advertise for just a couple of bunches now here's a TV channel that virtually no one is watching regardless of device London Live Uh, they've won their appeal to reduce their license commitments after watering down their request from the one that Ofcom originally rejected Liz what's changed now well they're not going to be showing as many repeats their obligation to show local programming for so many hours has been reduced but it doesn't actually reduce the amount of material they produce it reduces the amount of time they show it as I understand it there's another raft of local TV licenses due to be completed next week 
week um, for smaller towns. And for example, Carlisle in the north of England, I'm involved in a bid for that particular uh, local television station. And it's really quite controversial. I mean, will these things ever make any money? What's the point of them? Why are we doing it? And I think in a place like Carlisle or Norwich or somewhere where people have got a passion for their town and want to make their town known about and heard about and for local people to get a voice it's probably interesting and maybe viable I think with London it's a really difficult proposition because London is so big and people don't have the same sense of identity and from the start I think the Evening Standard has had had an uphill battle with the London licence Paul is it beyond help? No, I don't think it is. I'm actually not quite as sceptical about local TV as some people. I think what surprised me about London Live is that they didn't use the engine of the Evening Standard to drive the content. They were doing completely different things and not really extracting the synergies from having the London Evening Standard. That surprised me. And so you know, what you got on there was actually a little bit mediocre and just, it just didn't quite cut through. I agree with Liz. I think the further you get from London, the more likely local TV is going to work. Um, London is a problem because London stories are national stories, so how do you differentiate yourself i still believe this can be made to work uh, but you know look when local radio started when local commercial radio started in 1973 it was a horrendous mess for a couple of years i think we've got them a bit more time and see where they can make it i'm not doing the jury's out yet one interesting point about london is that if you look at individual london boroughs they have on average about 250,000 people in each borough had they had television per borough because for example the carlisle license is only going to reach 250,000 people absolute maximum that's all border television reach you know back in the day so would it have been better to do it borough by borough and make it really localized rather than having this this big london area where it's hard to get an audience and where you're competing against existing broadcasters i don't know is it really local that's another issue i think okay let's talk about reaper Uh, a month ago we mentioned the press gazette's campaign to save our sources from the hands of the police who were using reaper that's the regulation of investigatory powers act fact fans to find out who journalists were calling Uh, Well, now there's been some progress with an inquiry being launched by the Interception of Communications Commissioner. Liz, what does this actually mean? Well, I think it's quite a difficult one to assess. I mean, in a sense, to what extent are journalists in a vulnerable position because the police are are going to access the the information that the journalists are are also getting? If the police are doing it, it's confidential. Is that really going to damage the journalist's position? I don't know. The problem with this sort of thing is that when something like this leads to terrorists being intercepted and some terrible disaster being foiled then everybody's on the side of it but when it's everything's sort of bumping along as normal everyone's against it it is so so difficult i think by and large most journalists feel that the police should not do this and they back the campaign but i do think there's a bit of grayness around the edges I think we have to be careful to make sure that we protect a couple of things. First of all, you've got to protect the free press. That's really important. And freedom of sources and the journalist's ability to have sources is absolutely critical. We've also got to protect the respect in the police. And I think if the police are maybe going slightly beyond their remit and, and, and asking for sources when they don't necessarily need them, that also has to be reined in because we need to have trust in the police. So I think it's about a balance. I welcome the inquiry. I think it's good to find out what's going on. I think transparency is, is important. Ultimately, these powers should only be use when they are absolutely necessary not because the police fancy taking a look at some phone numbers. But the trouble is that since the hacking incidents there's such incredible bad blood between journalists particularly print journalists and the police that it's almost like you know anything goes in this fist fight between them and perhaps common sense has gone out the window a bit. And perhaps sort of backwards justification afterwards you know find something that's interesting and then they can say it was necessary. Absolutely. Finally two conferences starting next week. The Radio Festival in Salford and MIPCOM in Can Paul, 
can or Salford? It's a really tough choice. Where are you going? Um, it is a really tough choice, and uh, I'm afraid I've gone for the sunny option, which is Salford. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, Salford, I exactly. always have to wear factor yeah, fifty there. Definitely. Uh, yeah. What's happening at Mipcom? Well, Mipcom um, will be busy as always. About forty-five thousand people get together to buy and sell TV programs. Um, it's it's linked to what we were talking about earlier. It's become more and more a digital space, and so I'll be interested to see some of the people speaking there. The Murdochs are there. James Murdoch is there. I mean, James is always worth going to see, obviously representing 21st Century Fox. Um, Ted Sarandos, a name you may not know, who is the chief content officer for Netflix. Mm. Netflix have already amassed uh, very substantial subscriber numbers in the UK, in the US, in France. They're really sort of crawling right across Europe and then into Asia. Netflix is now becoming a preferred source of content, particularly amongst young people. There are young households who are choosing not to have pay TV, but have Netflix instead. So it'd be great to hear what he's got to say. Simon Cowell is going to be there. I may not attend that one. The other thing is there's a global channel distribution day. And what they've done is they've put together all of the different platforms. So in the UK, that would be Sky and Virgin, but obviously they've got all the platforms from Europe and from Asia with content owners and asking them, what do you want from us? What content do you need to drive your business? What are your consumers looking for? It's a really interesting idea. Um, it's been supported by the Association of International Broadcasters, the AIB, and I'll be going to some of that to see what they're doing. Aside from all that, I think I've got 42 meetings where I'm meeting people to buy and sell content so lots of beers lots of lunches and lots of late nights so that's why you're too busy to see simon cowell I, I think absolutely that, you know, I'm gonna... he used to plug me simon cowell at radio one he wouldn't remember me now <laughs> i wonder whether he will be punctual for his keynote speech because he's almost always late for everything isn't he i don't think so how could he possibly be He'll he wants be to make a big entrance i like the idea that he might keep people waiting liz you've had a look through the schedules as well of both festivals yeah. let's talk about the radio festival i mean what have you yes. seen that's no, caught your I eye there there's a sort of counterintuitive thing going on here i went to mip every year and MIPCOM twice a year for about eight years and it was always about the meetings rather than the talks How are your feet? Oh, it was not my feet that suffered so much actually. Mm. <laughs> um, but looking at this, I'm just noting the speakers and there are nine speakers and eight of them are men, okay? Which in the television business I think is rather disappointing. But and looking, that's at MIPCOM. That's at MIPCOM. Yeah. Looking at the Radio Academy, which is usually rather male-dominated, it actually has got lots more women in this year. Um, it does have... Uh, John Humphreys and Nicky Campbell doing a masterclass mm. but it does have lots of people like Feed Lover and Jane Garvey and so on there and I think that's really great I think there's a turnaround in radio which may be something to do with the Sound Women campaign I don't know well I'm sure it is but to what extent I don't know where more and more women are coming to the fore in radio and I think that's really great so I think probably on balance the radio festival has an extremely good programme but then Lipcom's got the sun no, you're absolutely right. And look, I'm, I'm going to take a bit of credit for this because one of the things we want to do at the Radio Festival is actually to really try and reinvent it. And you're right about choice of women speakers. We've really worked hard at that. And, and Fee you and Jane the, for are... Listeners, you were former chairman of the Radio Academy I was the chief executive well. of yeah. the Radio Academy. And yeah. so the structure of this, this festival was, was my structure. And a couple of things really we wanted to do. One was to introduce this how-to room and introduce a £99 ticket. Because one of the problems with the Radio Festival is the price. And the price is the price because that's what it costs to put a conference on. It's not anyone's making any money, but... By the time you have speakers and you have a room, and you know that's what it costs. But this how-to room on the Tuesday is designed to attract younger people coming into the industry or recently in the industry 
to give them some real practical tools to take away from the day. So it's £99 for the day, which is a great price. And you can do learn about podcasting, very topical, of course. You can learn about managing talent, you know, some of the basic craft skills. So that's really good. I'd also mention Iggy Pop, who's doing the uh, John Peel lecture. This is the 10th anniversary of John Peel's passing. And John Peel was obviously a very significant figure in music radio. And he was the first person to actually play the Stooges, Iggy Pop, on radio. So Iggy Pop will be very interesting. And then lastly, I'd mention the 30 Under 30. Bit of self-promotion here. I chair this group. It's 30 young people in radio who are doing amazing things. They'll be unveiled. Uh, What's encouraging about this is there are so many really good young people doing great things right across the board, not just on air, behind the scenes. And I think they're a really important part of this festival and they'll be there in very, very high profile. And of course, at your tender age, it must be very tempting just to keep resubmitting yourself. So well done for resisting Well, unfortunately, that. I'm 31 now, so I can't. <laughs> right. Can I just say, when you go to the MIPCOM thing, there is a Women in Global Entertainment Power Lunch at MIPCOM. But as I said, of the speakers, only one is a woman out of nine. I would say that Sophie Turner-Lang should be doing the keynote speech next year. I'm with you. Well, let's watch that space. Uh, Right, finally, just time for the media quiz. Huzzah! Uh, This week, it is entitled Twitter Me This. Seriously, it's lucky that you've got me on board, Producer Matt, because I would be suing. Uh, I'm going to read out a tweet by someone in the media news. You tell me who and what it's about. Here's tweet number one. They threw us out for the political capital. Oh, Oh, yes, Liz. This is uh, um, Jeremy Clarkson talking about Argentina. Indeed it was. Jeremy Clarkson, after being assaulted in Argentina for using a car registration that seemed to reference the Falklands War, a story which is not going anywhere at the time of recording. Uh, Okay, second story. Here's the tweet. Dear Twitter friends, it is happening again. Oh, tweet, tweet. Oh, yes, Paul. This is um, (laughs) David Lynch, and it's the return of um, Twin Peaks, 25th anniversary of Twin Peaks. Which a lot of people are very excited about. Me, completely left cold. I've never seen it. Are you one of the ones who's excited? No, I'm not excited. I did watch it. I didn't get it. I found it very slow and very boring. It was cancelled after the second season because of very low ratings. They're only doing nine (laughs) episodes. Um, The best part was the music for me. Just the hashtag damn good coffee seemed to get Twin Peaks fans very excited. Chris so Isaac. It's obviously a particular niche. And uh, right, well, this is the tie break then, isn't it? Third tweet. Congratulations to Nancy, a brilliant baker and a great friend. Buzz, buzz, tweet, tweet, British yes. Bake Off. Correct. 12 million viewers. I know, isn't it amazing? Yeah. And one of them is my daughter who's completely addicted. I don't get it though. Oh, I love it. It's Do you know really what? I went into Waitrose the other day to try and buy a cake. And they said, do you want to make the ice? I said, no, no, I want to buy the cake iced with the decorations. You can't go into Waitrose and buy a cake. You've got to buy all the bits. I said, I want to buy a complete cake. No, you've got to do it yourself. You're not going to win, are you? I'm not going to win. I, I can't wait for properly made cakes to come back. The versatility of the man is amazing. Bit of obcom there. Thank you. Uh, but that doesn't mean you've won, I'm afraid. Liz is the winner this wow, week. Well, it's not uh, the same as winning the bake-off, though, is it? <laughs> but you put your fingers in your ear, because for the benefit of the listeners, I am going to say uh, that that tweet was from Richard Burr the favourite to win the Great British Bake Off but a poor performance gave Nancy the chance to win the title and as you say yes the final was watched by more Brits on BBC One than the World Cup final 12.3 million people although in fairness the World Cup was also on ITV so it's a bit of a strange comparison isn't it Uh, well thank you uh, to both of you Paul Robinson Liz Howell Uh, this week's episode is dedicated to Dave Smith a long time listener who works in marketing in the music sector and to Jonna Crow 
a friend from across the pond. Don't forget you can get the podcast as soon as it's ready by subscribing via our website, themediapodcast.com. My name is Ollie Mann, the producer is Matt Hill. Until next time, bye-bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.